uh, trying to pump up the, the, the men a little bit here. Uh, we're going to do a couple of, we want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. We want to welcome all y'all you here. We encourage you to share the stream and bless somebody. And we want to pump the men up today. So, yes. So this message is translatable. You're all going to get something out of it. But I especially would like the men to pay attention to this, okay? It's important. So the, this is kind of, you know, it's crafted in a way where everybody's going to get something out of it. But my target audience for the next two weeks is the dudes, right? We will talk about being a blessed man. Any men in the room, any men out there that want to be blessed? You want to be blessed. The Bible gives us a pathway to be blessed. And it's a pathway that you're not going to find anywhere else. And so in Psalm chapter 1, says this, Blessed is the man. That doesn't mean the women can't be blessed. Blessed is the one, but blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law, the word of the Lord. And in his word, he meditates day and night. That man will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. It's a promise of prosperity there. That's a promise of success. It starts with blessing and ends in prosperity. So God's saying, listen, I've got a pathway to not just bring you from blessing, I'm gonna bring you from blessing into prosperity. You say, what's prosperity? I don't know, what's prosperity look like to you? It's a very relevant term, isn't it? Prosperity, you know, but prosperity is success, is a teeming level of success. That's what it means, an overflow where you're just teeming. You have, you have more than enough. Anybody want more than enough? Yes, yes, exactly. We all want more than enough. We want more than enough wisdom, more than enough understanding, more than enough courage, more than enough resources. We want more than enough in every, in every area of our life. And God has a path for that. So there's tremendous advantages Oftentimes, to men especially, it's very difficult. First of all, for all the men that are here and all the men that are watching, I want to honor you because you are doing what the vast majority of even Christians do not do. Christian men, they do not give themselves unto the things of God. They do not give themselves unto the ways of the Lord. And their success is, is nominal at best for that very reason. God, so, so all the men in the room, I, first of all, I want to applaud you. All the guys that are watching this, I want to applaud you too. And I want to honor you. We can, we can give them, come on. Come on, give me that. There you go. We want to honor that. We want to honor, we want to honor that. There's tremendous advantages in following Jesus. Tremendous advantages, right? Much in every way, the Bible says. In the book of Romans, it talks about what's the advantages of being a Jew or what's the advantages of being circumcised. Another way to say that in a modern culture, what's the, in that culture, they were saying, well, what, what's the advantages of our faith? What was the advantages of, of what our forefathers did? And Paul says, much in every way, for unto them were committed the oracles of God, right? And that's the key to everything. The word of God is the key to everything. So what advantage is it to be a Christian? Much in every way. What is advantage as they're in worshiping Jesus? Much in every way. Beyond salvation. You need your sins forgiven. That's absolutely 100% true. You need to be redeemed and brought out of darkness and into light and set on a path of victory. But too often we settle just for the doorway when God's given us the whole, path, the whole house. There's tremendous advantages in following Jesus and committing to following Jesus. There's tremendous advantages in showing up to worship. There's tremendous advantages in living in his word and in his spirit. 
There's something that God is trying to activate in particular in the lives of men. He's trying to awaken men. Men by nature are the directional leaders. It's just how we're made. Right? doesn't mean that women can't lead. Women lead in tremendous amounts of ways. But men by nature are lineal and directional leaders. That's how God's given them. He's created them to be the directional leader. The woman oftentimes is the influential leader. She oftentimes has more influence with the kids. She has more influence with the husband. Right? So my wife says, you're the head and I'm the neck. I can tell you which way to go. Right? She's the influential leader. But I'm the directional leader, right? I oftentimes, I set the tone, I set the pace, like this is where we're gonna go. She has input into that, I listen to her. But oftentimes that's, but, but my nature, I'm designed to be a lineal leader. I'm point A to point B. It's just how, that's just the way we're designed. The relationship between man and woman is complementarian. It's not competition, it's complementary, right? So I'm not competing with her and she's not competing with me. We're to complement one another. Women's greatest frustration is when men don't give a direction. Can I get a witness in here, ladies? Is there a witness in the room for the women who have men that, that, that your biggest frustration is when there's no direction? It's true. Because women become activated when the motion of the family starts. She's created as an orbiter. Right? The Bible says she's an ezer kenedgo, which means an orbiting strength. Same word, one of the words that's used for the Holy Spirit, by, by the way, is the same word God uses for the woman to surround and encompass with strength. You ever notice, guys, as soon as you start moving in a direction, she just, oh, we can do this, and we can do that, and we can do this. Women don't want to be the adventure. They want to go on the adventure. Just a thought. And her engagement and her activation comes when we start leading. But too often, men, men pull back off this understanding, off their leadership. And one of the reasons is, is there's, a, there's a lack of depth in communing and committing unto Jesus. Is there something that we're holding back as it relates to him? Just a thought. There's tremendous advantages in following the Lord. God's blessing, say this with me. The blessings of the Lord are directly connected to my identity, to his promises, to his word, and to his spirit. The great mystery of the blessings of God. I just told you where the doorways are. Number one is your identity. Number two is his promises. Right? What he's promised. And his promises are integrated and supported with his word. And his word is empowered with his spirit. But it means nothing until you come to the point of identity. It all begins with identity. Not just knowing your identity, but moving into your identity. Living from your identity. Sons and daughters of the highest. Heirs of this world and the one to come. That's who and what you are. That's who God has created you to be. I live as a son before my father. I make my decisions, everything I do is my, as a son before my father. I'm obedient, not because I'm a dutiful Christian. I'm obedient because he's my father. And my father expects a good son who listens to his father, right, in that regard. Right? We have a good father. A good son listens and is about his father's business. It begins with identity. In your identity are the promises. Listen, Jesus isn't making promises to the culture, Christian, but he's made a lot of promises to you. You are not ordinary, you are extraordinary. You're not average, you're exceptional. The only way you remain average is if you settle for average. Why, I tell people all the time, why do you settle for being average when you're called to be exceptional? Well, if I'm exceptional, then why? You know, there's a lot of reasons why. One of the reasons is, is you don't know who you are and you don't know what he's promised you. It, the promises, when you, until you understand your identity and then you understand what he has promised you, that's when everything begins. That's when everything begins to open up for you. 
His promises are supported and integrated within his word. His word and his promises are one and the same. This is true. But his word and his promises are activated by his spirit. So why do I emphasize the promises with the word? Because so often we're emphasizing the word, but we're not emphasizing the promises. And we treat God as que sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. We have very stoic, statuesque Christians who can recite the word like a machine gun, but there's no activation of power and there's no activation of promise within their life. Knowing the scripture is not enough. It's, come on. It's, I'm not saying don't know what you're saying, I know the scripture. Listen, I know a lot of people that know the scripture. I come from, out, I come from churches that knew the scripture but saw no power. I come from churches that knew the scripture and they believed in power and they believed in all that stuff, but they believed God for nothing because they had this, they had this mindset that God's going to do whatever God's going to do. No, God's going to do what you believe him to do and God's going to do what, the, what you activate him to do. The promises lie dormant until you activate them. So that's why the promises need to be accentuated with the word of God. The promises, God's, so here, so how do we draw from God's divine nature? Everybody want the nature of God to be alive in you? Right? This is what we want. Well, the Bible tells us where that comes from. First Peter, through like precious faith. So there's your identity. Through faith in Christ, precious faith in Christ, you become a son and daughter. That's assumed. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life. There's your inheritance. So you have your, you have your, you have your uh, identity followed by your inheritance. Through the knowledge of him, through knowing him. Right? Your inheritance is activated through knowing him. When you know him, your, your inheritance comes. His name is, say with me, his name, his name. is his nature. his nature. And his nature, his nature. and his name, and his name is my inheritance. my inheritance. You have an inheritance and you have a destiny. We just sang Jehovah Jireh. Jireh, you are enough, right? That means God's the provider. That's his name and that's his nature. His name is Jehovah Jireh, the becoming one. That's what, that's what Jehovah Yahweh means, the becoming one. I am I, I was, I am, and I forever will be. I am the becoming one. In what way? In provision. I am your provision. I am now and will always be. That's an inheritance over his people. Until you understand that and activate your inheritance, God will provide for you. God is going to take care of you. He is going to. But you've got to understand that. Your circumstances are not necessarily always God's will. He's given you an identity through precious faith. He's given you divine power in everything that pertains to life and godliness through knowing him. Until you know that God is the healer, until you know that God is the victory, not know about it, but know it through knowing him. It's an experiential faith. When you've experienced God's victory, you know what that looks like. When you've experienced God's provision, you know what it looks like. We just had a woman here heal the cancer. One of many. I got one, yeah. <laughs> Walk right out of the hospital. She's bringing her x-rays. Right? I told Sherry I want those x-rays. I told her to bring the x-rays. Before, after. Before, after. Right? Word of the culture, word of Jesus. Word of the culture, word of Jesus. We've had this, we have it many times. But you need to know that's her inheritance. She doesn't need to beg for healing. It belongs to her. It's her inheritance. We know him, and he's called us to glory and virtue. He's called us to goodness in, 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 in a pure life, a, a, a life that's alive. That's what virtue means. And through these things, so right, through not just his nature and the inheritance, God has given us promises. 
So you see, promises are even outside of the inheritance. This verse is telling us that we have a nature and an identity in Christ. We have an inheritance in Christ. And oh yeah, but wait, there's more, right? Act now. There's a bonus. There's also promises associated with this faith. And he's given to us great and precious promises through the promises we draw from the divine nature. You want to draw from the nature of God? You want to draw from the divine nature of God? The Bible tells us it's through his promises. It's through his promises. So this is what's very, very important. So it's his promises and his word. It's extremely important. Every, say it with me, every promise has a condition. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, you will what? What's the promise? Salvation. What's the condition? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. You're not activating that promise without meeting that condition. Right? If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. What's the promise? Eat the good of the land. What's the condition? Willing and obedient. Do you even want the good of the land? That, that's, willingness is a huge concept in the scripture. I want it, pastor. I want it. Everybody's willing. We're all willing on the surface. Willingness is whatever it takes. That's what willingness in the Bible means. Willing doesn't mean, yes, I want it, Jesus. Willingness is, I want it, and I'll do whatever it takes to get it. I don't care if it makes me undignified. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care what I look like. I don't care. That's willingness in the scripture. Are you willing to say, to, to do, to, for God to do a work in your marriage? I'm willing for God to heal my marriage. Are you, are you, do you want it enough to lay your pride down? Do you want it enough to lay your ego down? Do you want it enough to do the... Do, do you, how bad do you want it? Willingness is in the Bible is whatever it takes, man. If you're willing and you listen to me, you will eat the good of the land. Right? And all of these, call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not of. What's the promise? He's going to show you things that you know not of. What's the condition? You've got to call on him. Jeremiah 33.3. It's Jesus' phone number. You want Jesus' digits? I'm giving them to you. Jeremiah 33.3. Call upon me and I will show you great and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not of. Promises with conditions. There's great advantages in this. This is how we take part in the divine nature. So we have identity, we have inheritance, we have promises. We haven't even touched destiny and purpose. That's at a whole other level. There's so many levels to this faith, yet we settle for what is ordinary. And you know what's crazy? You know what I experience? I experience Christians who get mad at me if I call them beyond, what is, beyond the ordinary. They get mad because they're like, oh, yeah, I don't know about this. And they get mad. And you know why they get mad? Because it actually requires them to do something. You mean I actually have to do something? Uh, yeah. You mean I actually have to have faith? Uh, yeah. But it's, it's, listen, faith's a fight, man. Faith, anybody here? Faith's not easy. Quitting is easy. Faith is not easy. Believing God and pursuing the promises is not easy. And we, by nature, have created a culture of weak and anemic Christians. We are weak. And God is calling for Davids. And God is calling for Deborahs who will not sit under the Tamri tree in cowardice, who will not shudder in the tent even though they have all the armor in the world to fight that fight. He's looking for those who don't look like that but have faith. That's what he's looking for. Because he doesn't need the armor and he doesn't need the army. He needs faith. 
That's what he needs. The blessing and the promises of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. So here's, uh, well, I've got to get back to this. Galatians chapter 3 says, For many of you were baptized into Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. All of you have put on Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and you are an heir according to the promise. In Christ, you are heirs according to the promises. They belong to you. I think it's 2 Corinthians 1. All, say it with me. All the promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. How many promises are all of them? All of them. We have, to- we have toxic teachings within our churches. We teach dispensational theology, nonsense. We teach the complete and absolute sovereignty of God, and I absolutely agree with that, but he's delegated authority. God's not sovereign in all situations because he's delegated authority. He's empowered you. If God was sovereign over everybody coming to Christ or dying in their sins and being lost to hell, no one would be lost to hell. How do we know this? God wills that none should perish. In his sovereign will, he doesn't want anyone to perish, and yet they do. Why? Because that delegated authority belongs to you and me. You and I are the ones who are supposed to go. You and I are the ones who are supposed to tell people about Jesus. You and I are supposed to be the arm of a loving friend that brings people to a community, that brings people to a group, that brings people to an environment where they can at least hear the gospel. Jesus' will is not for people to perish. So this idea that God is sovereign in every situation is true, but he is delegated. They don't understand the concept of delegated authority. You are his body. If the body doesn't get up and go, it doesn't matter how much the head wants the sandwich. If the body doesn't go up and make the sandwich in the refrigerator, the head's going to go hungry. The body, that's all y'all, myself included, must rise and go. So these toxic belief systems that, you know, it's dispensational and we can't believe God for promises. The Bible says that all those promises are yours. If he did it before, he'll do it again. He's no respecter of people. If he did it for them, he'll do it for you. I got married through a promise, right? Isaac's sitting under a tree worshiping God, and he looks up, and here she comes, right? Here she comes. She just comes right at him. And I ask the Lord, give me that. What you did there, give me that. I want to be focused on you. I want to be focused on women and chasing women and all this other nonsense. I want you to bring me the one that you've chosen. Right? That's exactly what happened. He brought her right to me. And that's a promise. He said, well, in dispensational theology, you cannot claim that because the dispensation of the, of the patriarchal age does not apply to the kingdom age. To the, we're not even in the kingdom age. This is the church age. This is how dispensational theology. We're in the church age. And you see, the church age doesn't apply to the patriarchal age. And the patriarchal age does not apply to the antediluvian age. You know, it's, it's like, what? If it's a positive, life-affirming promise, it's mine. Amen. Because I serve a God who's a life giver. And I can draw from that promise and I can experience his divine nature. Blessing is in relationships, the blessing. So we want to be blessed. I'm talking to men here this morning. I really want to illuminate this message to men. There's blessings in relationship with Jesus. Your blessing is not in your achievement. It's the difference between achieving and being anointed right? We're wired for achievement. Men are wired to achieve. We just are. We have to achieve something. Even if it means making our lawn look better than the neighbors, we have to achieve something, right? You know what I'm saying? There's something we have to achieve. We're just wired for it. But why not yield to a relationship, get anointing, and then go pursue achievement inside the anointing? There's blessing inside the promises, the foundation of scripture, and the power of the Holy Spirit. When you choose to live outside these things, you find yourself very quickly on your own. So men, 
If you choose to live outside of God's presence, outside of his promise, and outside of his power, you will find yourself very, very quickly on, a, on your own. And I have news. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how bushy your beard is and strong your biceps are. I don't care how many tats you got and what the size of your truck looks like. You don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. In him we move, live, and have our being. I live, move, and have our being. In Christ, we can do nothing without him. Man was created to be, live an integrated life with Jesus. It's this fact. Men oftentimes isolate themselves. It's an integration of faith. Blessed is the man. Say it with me. Jesus likes to bless. Jesus likes to bless. It blesses him to bless you. Anybody like to bless? Now I've raised kids. Both my kids are adults. And I have one grandson, and I love him. And I am always looking to bless that kid. I just look at that kid, and I'm like, I just want to do something for him. I just, you know. I, I, he's just such a joy, right? You know, because parents sometimes, you know, when they're your own kids, it's like you get lost in the noise. <laughs> the coming, and you love your kids, and you try to bless your kids, but you get lost in the noise of it all. Grandchildren, you don't have all that noise. You can just see that kid, Right? He tells my daughter the other day, he says, Grampy's my best friend. I was like, we're going to Walmart. <laughs> Whatever, we're, we're going to go on vacation for her birthday, we're my daughter's birthday, and I'm going to tell you right now, if Rowan wants it, Rowan's getting it, right? Unless, of course, my daughter, I'll try to respect her, but nonetheless, I'm going to shower that boy, man, because it blesses me to bless him. It blesses your father to bless you. Some of you, you know, Father's Day's coming up, and you never had a father who was a giver. You had a father who was a taker. Jesus isn't like that. You never had a father who lifted burdens. You had a father who was a burden and added burdens. Jesus isn't like that. He's not like that, right? He's, he's perfect. Everything you ever imagined a perfect father to be, he's all of that and more. He's beyond what you think. He's greater than what you think. Say it with me. Jesus is more loving than I think. He's more kind than I think. He's more gracious than I think. Therefore, I must change the way that I think. You have to elevate your understanding to the level of, him, of who he is. You cannot, let, you cannot remain at a level of thinking that is relative to your experiences. Your thinking must transcend to the level of what is true. God is good. Doesn't matter what the circumstances say. Your thinking must align with the level of what is true, not what your experience is. God heals, regardless of your experience. God's a healer. Your thinking must rise to the level of what is true and not remain at the level of what you've experienced. This is how we transform, this is how we transcend. We elevate ourselves in the level of our, of our thinking, the mind of Christ. His ways are above our ways. His thinking's above our thinking, isn't it? His, his, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways above your ways. So God's on a higher plane, but we have the ability to elevate ourselves to his level and to see and understand as he sees. You've been given the mind of Christ. You can know his mind. You can know his heart. You can see as he sees. You can believe as he believes. You have access to that. What's that look like? It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Just try it sometime. Pursuit of the kingdom lifestyle produces life. 
So we're called to pursue a kingdom lifestyle. So the Psalm chapter verse 2 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Most men are walking with people they shouldn't be walking with, standing in places they shouldn't be standing with, and they find themselves sitting in places they shouldn't be sitting. This is why people's lives stop. The Bible's given us a clear indication here as to why people's lives stop. You're walking with the godless. All of your counsel, walk with the godless, the godless. These aren't even the wicked, right? The, the godless are just godless. They just make it up as they go along. And people find themselves walking with the godless. We get all our information from the evening news, walking with the godless. Why do you feed on godless information? They have nothing good to say. These are atheists who are communicating to you without hope. If you think the news is going to give you hope in any form, you're, you're woefully deceived. And you wonder why fear is there? Because you're walking in the counsel of the godless, right? What ends up happening is now all of a sudden you'll stand in a sinful place. You'll find yourself standing in a sinful place, right? How did I get here? I don't know. Then you'll end up doing something that's stupid. And now you're locked down and now you're just going to have to sit there for a while because of the consequences of the choice that you just made. And then you become scornful. Oh, all well, these Christians, and oh, the church, and oh, that, and eh, eh, eh. Or you scorn yourself. I'm such a loser. I'm such a loser. Or you scorn God. You don't love me. You don't care about me. Well, how'd you get to that place? Walking in godless counsel. Stopping and making decisions that are misaligned with his kingdom. And everything comes to a halt. That's why, we, that's why our lives stop. The biggest thing is stop listening to godless counsel, right? Stop listening to the counsel of the godless. <laughs> they have nothing good to say. Godless people. I didn't say they weren't good people. They're godless people, right? They just don't know. They don't know. Say, we all know people like that. Say, I don't know a person like that. Well, then my question would be, are you like that? So that would be the question. <laughs> We walk, we find ourselves in sin. We, when, we, when we get to that point, we stop. See, look, say it with me. Repentance changes everything. So if you find yourself where you're sitting and you can't move anymore, right, and you're stuck in a moment, and you're stuck because you've been hanging out and listening to and, and, and associating with and drawing all of your life from the wrong people, and they will inevitably lead you to the wrong place, and, in, and over time, you're going to wear down and make the wrong decision. And then over time, you're going to find yourself sitting in a thing. You can repent. You can repent. Repentance changes everything. Repentance is, Lord, I did this. This was stupid. I give it back to you. My willful actions I acknowledge, and I change, and I choose to go a different way. And what does that look like? You know, stop walking with godless people. Stop standing in a place of sin, right? And stop sitting, or you're going to end up sitting down in your circumstances. You're going to end up there. People say, I'm free to choose. I said, you're absolutely free to choose. But you're not free from the consequences of the choice. You can choose. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Hmm? We have an immense amount of liberty as Christians, but we're not free from the consequences of the choices. You can choose the blessing. So God told them, you want blessing or do you want cursing? I will that you choose life that you may live, but the choice is yours. Which one you want? So some of you need to take a close examination of the, the people and where you're drawing your counsel from. You need to find different people to walk with. We had Men of Valor group last night. I couldn't go. I was on the phone for four hours yesterday, but pray for me. But anyway, it was that we have men's groups here, guys. You need, you need to connect to that. 
that meets about every month to six weeks, somewhere in there. Meet, that group is meeting. Very strong group. We have a men's Bible study that was going on across the street. Very good group. You need to connect to that type of thing. You need to connect to brothers in the church. You look around here, the, the people that are here, these are good people, right? They're all seeking the same thing. It's just a thought. You need to find different people to walk with. Men need groups. We do. Thank you. It is not good for man to be alone. Say it with me. It is not good for man to be alone. It, there's, some, there's a problem when men isolate themselves. Nothing good happens. When men isolate themselves, it's not good. Right? All sorts of things come out of isolation. How many destructive behavioral patterns and violence comes out of guys? And, and every single time, they're like, well, he was a loner. You know? you know, blew up the federal building. What do we know about him? Well, he was a loner. Never hung out with people much. You know? Mass shooting. Well, he pretty much kept to himself. You know, stayed in his house the whole time, you know. It's not good that men become alone. It's not good that men stay alone. It leads to depression. Men need groups. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 17. Say this with me. Daniel made it through Babylon with a few good men. Right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel was able to live and exist and make it through a godless culture a pagan culture, because he had a few brothers around him. He had a support system. This applies to you too, ladies, but I'm focused on men. He had a peer-to-peer -peer support system that enabled him to make it through Babylon, right? <laughs> Babylon is the image of all the godlessness in the Bible, you know, the word Babylon. And so Daniel, how was Daniel able to make it through Babylon? Because he had a, he had a support system. He had an integrated support system. They stood together, right? You even see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as one. They're like, no, we stand as one. If God's going to deliver us, let's go. But if he doesn't, and we get cooked, and we have barbecue today, you know, if we're, we're the main course, we'll just know that he's still God, right? And they stood as one. And there was a strength and a unity in numbers. A threefold cord is not easily broken. We need it. But what we need is we don't need religious relationships. Well, bless God, brother. Hallelujah. How you doing? We don't need this mechanical nonsense. We need reality, right? We need to be accepting of where people are, and we need to help each other on the way. That's the idea, right? Not examining and competing with each other to see who's the most spiritual among us. This is completely the opposite. And if you are spiritual, then you're commanded into restoration, they that are spiritual restore. And if you are spiritual and you do have knowledge and you do have development, you're commanded to get beneath the others and lift them up to be their support network, not their lecturer talking down to them, but to encourage them and to coach them and to lead them along the way. We need groups and people that share experiences with one another and yet are accepting. This is exactly how Jesus is. He knows everything about you and he loves you just the same. Is that crazy? You think he doesn't know everything about you? The Bible says you know everything about you, and you know what happens? Your heart condemns you. When you look at your life, you're like, I suck. I can never get it right. You know all the dark, the dirty secrets about yourself, don't you? And oftentimes that leads to a self-condemnation. The Bible says if your heart condemns you, I'm greater than, my, than your heart, and I know everything. And if the Lord doesn't condemn you, then why are you condemning you? Right? You're just a broken person doing the best you can with the tools you have and the situations you're in. That's the reality of it all. If you were in that circumstance, you didn't have the tools to deal with that circumstance, you didn't have the knowledge to deal with that circumstance, and you made a bad choice. 
Now, knowing what you know now, would you make that choice? Probably not. But at the time, you were in that circumstance and you didn't have the tools to make the right decision and you made the wrong one, right? Doesn't change, it doesn't mean that it made it right, but it makes it understandable. Say it with me. If it's understandable, it's forgivable. If it's forgivable, it can be released. This is the whole premise of forgiveness. The foundation of forgiveness is understanding, right? I don't understand why I did that. Well, I can tell you, you're a broken person doing the best you can in the situation you're in with the tools you had. You didn't have the tools. You were in a situation that was over your head. You were in a situation that you didn't know about. Maybe you put yourself there. Again, you didn't have the tools to be smart enough to not put yourself there. Nonetheless, doesn't mean anything you did was right. That was a complete stupid decision. That was a bad decision. But you made the decision nonetheless, and so now we have to move past it, right? Or we can sit down, right? So, so the sins, and now we're sitting down. I get up. You got to get up. And forgiveness is what brings restoration. And the Lord knows that. And so Jesus brings us through with restoration and forgiveness. And you have to forgive yourself. You have to forgive yourself. Say, God doesn't forgive me. Who told you that? You're actually exalting yourself above God. If God doesn't forgive you and you can't forgive you, you're exalting yourself above the Lord. Now there's willful forgiveness and there's wounded forgiveness. They're two different things. You have to willfully forgive yourself. Some of you, you've been wounded, and so that pain is there, and it's interconnected with your feelings about the matter. And so you have a hard time letting it go because there's a wound there. You have to heal that wound. But, you all, but, but before you can get to the level of healing the wound, you've got to get to the level of willful forgiveness. Broken people doing stupid things, making stupid choices. That's the way it is. So brotherhood, right? So what happens is, is what groups are for is that we all grab a group of bros. We go and hang out with our bros. We go, we go and we stop at a place as bros and we sit down and we grow and we build our lives together. That's what God intends for our lives as men, right? What the world does is a bunch of bros. We get all bros get together, oons, 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 and we go to the club, Right? And we sit down and we do things that are not life-empowering. You say, what's the difference? Well, one of them brings brotherhood. One of them brings growth. One of them brings life. The other one, well, it brings, it looks like this. It brings guilt, a lot of hand sanitizer, and most, most often it brings a hangover. So that's what ends up happening. We're called to come together as groups, and we're called to move into life-giving environments. We can walk with the godless, or we can walk with the godly. Not the religious. God help us. Let me look at the camera. We don't need any more religious Christians. We just don't. We don't. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a revolution. A transformative, life-giving revolution that changes everything. It's not about loose and fancy free and anything goes. It's not about that either. It's neither. It's in the middle. It's a life that pursues Christ with all that it takes and is willing to do whatever it takes to bring honor to the Lord and to fulfill his purposes in your marriage, in your business, in your household, in your future, in your family, wherever it looks like. That's what it is. Brotherhood. Verse 2 says, blessed is the man that doesn't do these things. So what's the contrary? Well, the contrary would be to, instead of walking with that company, walk with some other company. You're created to walk with company. You have to. It's the way it is. That's why depression, this whole idea of lockdowns and isolation has done nothing for us. Prescription anxiety prescriptions are off the chart. It made the, made the drug companies even richer because now they're prescribing anxiety medicines for beyond what they are already doing because people are so jacked up because they've been isolated for so long. You're not meant to be isolated. 
We're not meant to be that way. We're meant to be in community and we're meant to be with other people. You say, I got people, I have, I have social anxiety. No, you have brokenness that you need to heal. It's true. I don't like being around people. You have brokenness that you need. You have fear, you have rejection, you have acceptance issues that you need to heal. That's why you don't want to be around people. Just the thought, how do you know this? Because I was that man. <laughs> true. You know what they asked me when, uh, when I met one of my high school friends years ago? He said, what do you remember about me in high school? And they said, you never talked. Yeah, I was like a loner. I was a loner, right? Watch that guy. He's a loner, right? I was that guy. But, geez, I, but I've been through not just following Jesus, but I've been through a process of restoration within my heart. And everything that opposes what God has for me, I deal with that. And I move forward. And my life changes. He's the God of transformation, and he's a life-giving God. He changes us. This faith is real, right? It's real. It's alive. But his hope and delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his word he meditates day and night. What does the word law mean? It's a Hebrew word Torah. It means the way of the Lord. The man who is blessed delights in God's ways, his ways. Israel knew, Israel knew the Lord's deeds, but Moses knew his ways. Which one's more important? To know his ways, to know his heart, right? The delight is in knowing the ways of the Lord. What are his ways? His ways are freedom. His ways are life. His ways are grace. His ways are forgiveness. His ways are generosity. His ways are hope. His ways are celebration. His ways are honor. His ways are goodness. Do you delight to know that? You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Kingdom culture, church culture, right? Church culture is not kingdom culture. What I just told you is kingdom culture. Church culture is like, well, we got to keep everything in order here. Bless God, hallelujah. You know, we're just constant in this presentation management mode. It's the wrong, wrong way to go. We need to delight ourselves. If we want blessing, we delight ourselves in knowing the ways of the Lord. If the Lord is generous, then I want to be generous. If the Lord is kind, then I want to be kind. If the Lord is courageous, then I want to be courageous. If he's a God of victory, then I want to be a son of victory. I want his ways. I want his ways. The delight in his ways. Not your ways, not the world's ways, not the church's ways. The kingdom ways. And in his word, he meditates day and night. We live alive, we live free, we meditate. This word meditate, everybody say it with me. Meditate means to experience. I'll give you, this is, one of, this is an easy one. It's one of the first times I ever really understood what the word meditate was, was all about. You know, John 3, 16. I'm a new Christian. I'm, I'm reading the Bible. You read the scripture until something jumps out at you. And when something jumps out at you, you begin to ponder that. You begin to engage with that. You begin to talk to the Lord about that. Or you begin to just sort of search that out. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I remember one time, and I'd read that many times prior to that, but I remember it, and it says, God so loved. He didn't just love. He so loved. And I'm like, well, what does it mean to so love? And the Lord would say, I'd ransom my kingdom. That's how, you know, it's like, it's like pondering and meditating. And it means to regurgitate. It means to chew on it, Right? And, you know, like cows, what they do is they chew on the grass, they soften it up, they spit it out, and they chew on it a little bit more, right? It sounds gross, but that's how they digest their food. 
sometimes that's what we have to do with the word of God is we have to chew on it, spit it out, come back to it, chew on it a little more until we can digest what's being said. That's what the word meditation means, to, to pause and to ponder, right? I'm all into meditation. Yeah. Not Zen, mo- yeah. We're not talking about Zen meditation in the lotus position. I'm talking about meditating and encountering experiences with the Holy Spirit, right? Who told you the world religion owns meditation? It's in the Bible, man. Isaac was meditating under the, under the tree when Rebecca came, right? He was meditating. David was meditating when he got a vision that he could actually overcome the Philistines, when he was meditating on the greatness of God. Some of y'all need to meditate, right? You need to remember and meditate and get into the spirit on that stuff. Men who, men who come to church and live a life, a kingdom lifestyle, and choose to follow Jesus. Ready? 50%, 57% less likely to abuse substances or become an alcoholic. You got substance abuse problems? Commit wholeheartedly and follow Jesus. Your success rate's going to increase 60%, 57%, right? You're 59% less likely to commit adultery. 50, 59% less likely to commit adultery. So ladies, if you've got your husband's in church, the odds of him not, not cheating on you or you know, going outside of the marriage are up about 60%. You, you, you're you're, you're going to increase the fidelity within your marriage through that alone. 68% chance that they become sexually pure and they'll marry. Mm-hmm. Men who are in church will marry way more than men who are outside of church. It's true. It, it's up, we have a commitless culture. Marriage is like, pff, gone. My wife and I, we were watching this movie on Netflix, and it was a French movie, right? French movie. She likes French movies. I don't even know. But it was like a reality show, like a French reality show, and they were getting married. And I thought, how interesting, because American TV, they almost never show people getting married anymore. Not that I care about American TV, but I just know that that's not a theme that they're really presenting. Yet in this, in this French movie, they're showing the family and how they, they're married and they have kids and all of the family interacts and, you know, now he's getting married and, you know, and it was just this whole heart and I, it just stood out to me, right? The church needs to, we need to accentuate marriage. Marriage is important. I shared it last week, man. It's very simple. People go, I got sexual problems, bro, sir. I get married. <laughs> when I'm going to have problems when I do that? Yeah, you're going to have problems. But you're not going to have sexual problems, right? Take your hands off the cookie jar, ladies. If you're married, I shared this last week. You want that brother to stop looking at another woman? Have sex with him a lot. Wear him out. <laughs> Serious. You will never have to worry about that brother lifting his head because he is worn out. He might look and go, oh, I got it, man. I got it. Because it's appetite-driven. It's appetite. You're hungry for it. We eat foods we don't want to eat because we're hungry, right? We make choices we don't want to make because we're hungry. That's the way it is. We need to commit to getting married. We need to find people that passionately follow Jesus. Does she, flash, does she love Jesus more than she loves anything else? Does he love Jesus more than he loves anything else? Do you two love each other? Then get married. And both of you together begin to pursue, without compromise, this life of faith. Is it a guarantee? It's a pretty good guarantee, right? It's a pretty good guarantee. It's another story. 
72% of men who are faithfully following Jesus and are committed to a lifestyle of Christianity report more meaning and fulfillment. You're looking for meaning and fulfillment. It's found in the kingdom. It's found in his heart. It's found in that relationship. Verse 3, that man will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Do you want to be fruitful? He's telling you how, right? Whose leaf shall not wither. Do you want your life to stop withering? He's telling you how. Withering relationships, withering jobs, withering finances, withering soul, withering whatever. Our lives wither when they don't have to. The Bible says it can be a constant renewal, a constant renewal, a constant renewal, a constant renewal. I have the faith of my friend. She said, death has to take me, but it ain't going to be disease. I'm going to go, I'm going to run across that finish line. I'm not going to waste away in a hospital bed. That's what my faith says, right? I'm not going to wither. I'm going to win. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know what I'm saying? We accept things that are not really ours to have. God never promised you that your life would wither. God never told you that anything in your life would wither. He said, if you don't want to wither, then pay attention right here. (laughs) You need to plant and you need to root. You do. You need to plant and root. This is a life-giving church. You need to plant and you need to root. And men too often let the women do all the rooting. Well, you go to church and you root and, you know, you you take the kids and, you know, I'm going to go do something that suits my fancy. The men need to plant and the men need to root. They need to stop jumping around and treating church like, well, I'll come on Father's Day and I'll come at Christmas. I might come on Mother's Day, possibly your birthday if it's on the weekend, but don't expect too much of me. Listen, I confess Christ, be be grateful with that. Your life will wither. Confessing Christ is not enough. Your life will wither. You must root. You must put yourself in, in good soil and allow your roots to go deep. When you keep moving trees around, right? I'm having these tree experiences lately. This is where I'm at. I'm having to move trees. What happens when you move trees around is the tree goes into shock. The tree goes into shock. And sometimes when you, when you move the tree around, because they're, they're, what happens is their roots intertwine with each other. So they, they become strong. And so what happens sometimes when you move the tree, the tree, not just the tree that you're moving goes into shock, but the tree that it was connected to goes into shock. And your family keeps going into shock because you keep uprooting. <laughs> you go into shock, your family goes into shock because you keep changing. Root, man. Root. No, root spiritually. Root. It's important. Planted by the rivers of water. That brings forth fruit in its season. Your leaf will not wither. You need to plant and root. You need to be a part of a spirit-filled, life-giving church. I've been in this game a long time. I'd like to tell you that church does it. Church doesn't do it. Spirit-filled, life-giving, communally-driven churches are what do it. Coming and going and going to do it. Checking the boxes and going to do it. It's integrated relationships one to the other. It's being a part of a church that calls you into an experience with your God and calls you not to just know about him, but to experience him. Knowing about Jesus isn't enough. It's not. You have to experience him. You have to know him. He's all in on experience. He wants to know you. What does he tell the wicked? Depart from me, I never knew you. This word know, it means intimacy. 
The word know in the Bible is intercourse. That's what it means. The relationship between a man and a woman, right? It's all out there. You know what I mean? It's there. Jesus is like, that's the kind of relationship I want with you. I'm willing to expose all that I am to you, and you need to be willing to expose all that I am to, to me, right? Now, who gets the better deal? Well, we do, right? And so God wants us to know him, experience him, and this far too often is not something that's called for within our churches. And so it's spirit-filled, life-giving. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by word or doctrine. It's not by church tradition. It's not by fancy cars on the stage or skinny jeans and smoke machines. But it's by my... Holy Spirit must be integrated. Not talked about, but integrated into the church and into the lives of the people. And you need to be integrated in your relationships. This is important. Planted by a river. You need to get in the flow of his presence. You're going to be like a river. You need to get in the flow, man. Life's flowing. Get in the flow. Move with what God is doing. Get on board with what God is doing. Flow with it. If you do this, the Bible says, you will be fruitful. It's in it. Say it with me. Fruitfulness is inevitable, right? If I put the tree in the ground and I let it root and I water that tree and I fertilize that tree and I expose that tree to a source of light in a source of life, that tree by nature is going to produce fruit, even if it doesn't want to. So I'm all in on trees lately, right? So I got a tree that sits in the shade and the sunny side of the tree produces fruit, but the shady side of the tree is not producing fruit. Why? Because that tree is not being exposed properly to the light. You understand? But if you, put, if you allow yourself to be rooted in an environment, allow the fertilizer, allow the water, the stream, the flow, the life of the Spirit to come, and then you allow yourself to expose, be exposed to the light of His goodness and His glory, you will bear fruit. You will. Seasons change, but you will not wither. Life will not wither away. Your dreams and your plans and your relationships won't wither either. Do you know why? Because God will see to it himself. Because you're in an integrated relationship with him. Most of the people that are not integrated with him, it's not that Jesus doesn't know them, but they separate themselves from him. In order for God to do a work in their life, they, they must return to him. Even Christians. When you're in fellowship and community, you don't have to return to him because you're right there. You're right there. You're in community with him. But so often we make choices and we go, oh, I don't need Jesus. And you go way out there, way out there. And you're like, why did God do this to me? Well, God's not doing anything to you. You removed yourself from his community. You removed yourself from his blessing. And he's just like, hey, I'm over here if you need me. But he's going this way, right? He's not making the detour. Well, Jesus will leave the 99. Yeah, that's true. But do you want him to leave the 99? A lot of Christians aren't willing to let him leave the 99. They're just like, they do their own thing. Whatever you do will prosper. It's crazy. We go from blessing to prosperity. God is telling us that he's giving us a path. He's giving men a path. So if we'll follow these things, this is what will change our life. We must integrate our lives with him. We must yield ourselves, pursue his promises. His word must become a part of our well-being, and we must live the life of the Spirit. This is important. It says meditate in the last point. Meditate in your word day and night. I'll tell you two of men's biggest problems. Most men have this problem in some form or another. They wake up in the morning and their days are all about anger and frustration. They go to go to bed at night and it's all about insomnia. 
can't sleep. Well, the Bible has a solution for that. Meditate in his word, what? Night and night, right? In the morning, you wake up. Put the Bible app on your phone, Christian. Find one. Bible Gateway, version. put it on your phone. You can get audio Bible there. You get the verse of the day. Every morning, I go to turn my phone on. I'm not looking for talk radio. I'm not looking for, you know, what the news is. I pop up, and there's the verse of the day. What I've been trying to do is look at that verse and try to make that verse my meditation. It's simple, right? Let it pop up on your phone. Start your day with the word of God instead of with all of these other frustrating experiences that go on in the world. Go to sleep with it, right? I, I love it. Knock me right out. I just put on a book on theology, put it on my head, or I put on some, or I'll just, I'll put on somebody who has a really somber voice. And I'll listen to the word of God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And we beheld his glory and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And I'm like, <laughs> insomnia is gone. Problem solved. Sometimes I wake up and I got my headphones on because I fell asleep with my headphones on. Meditate in his word day and night. We don't have an excuse. This generation doesn't have an excuse. You literally don't even have to read. You can listen, right? I told, told you guys last week, it's like, you don't even have to pray. So I need to pray more. Just go to, find, a, there's people that are doing prayer channels, man. Yeah, I mean, you just get in the river. Turn on a prayer channel, find one. And well, I don't like the way they pray. Well, then find another one. Find another one. It's Baskin Robbins, man. There's 52 flavors. Find one that ministers to you and get in there and let them pray. And you can pray with them. Just a lot of opportunities, but we need to commit ourselves to this. Say this, if we do this, prosperity will come. Do you believe it? That's why I have any believers in the room. Do you believe it? Amen? All right, we're going to close right there. We've got a prayer team available if you need it. So if you need prayer for anything, uh, I want to encourage you to participate in that prayer team. If you don't know Jesus, I'm like, I'm out of time. The Lord's like, you've got time. I'm like, okay, Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, and I'm talking to the men here today. If you don't know Christ and you've never given your heart to Christ, today's your day. Not tomorrow, not next week, not I'll think about it. No, today's your day. You have a problem and it's called a sin problem. Your sin problem is what makes you destructive. You don't even have the ability to overcome it. Every single person has a sin problem. The Bible says all have sinned. And in our sin, we fall short of the goodness and the glory that God intends for our lives. The Bible says the penalty for the sin, which is the separation from his glory and goodness, is eternal death. But Jesus came for us to offer us a gift, and that gift is eternal life. So Jesus wants to give you life. Your, li your life without Christ will produce nothing good. And in the end, it really won't be good. But Jesus offers you an alternative. He said, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose what you will choose. I choose that you have life and you, that you may live. And scripture says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. You say, that's it? Yeah, that's it. It's like an elevator, I tell people. It, didn't cost, it cost somebody a lot to put that in the building. It doesn't cost you anything to step in and push the button and it'll take you where you need to go. But somebody paid a lot of money to put that elevator in that building. Jesus paid a tremendous price to give you access to something that you couldn't access any other way. And so we're going to pray a prayer. Everybody here is going to pray with us. All you got to do is open your heart. Jesus can do all things except open your heart. Jesus can do all things except transgress or, sin or move against your will. You have to submit your will to what he's asking for. 
He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, you I will deny before my Father. It's no such thing as a closet Christian. We have to come out and be numbered. We're called to wear armor and not camouflage. And so we pray together as a group. And I want to challenge you to pray together with anybody that's at, at your house. And just let's do it. And just say this, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I, don't, I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Prayer team's available. Let me bless you guys. Yeah, come on. We can clap. We'll clap it out. We're going to clap it out. But wait, there's more. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And forever, may you live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. Have a great week. Man.